0: I've gotten so used to Tim standing up, and uh, he's like seven feet tall. He comes up here, lifts this thing up, and it's ready for me. And I thought I was going to have to do that myself this morning. Uh, we, we would have found a way to continue on. Uh, but uh, uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, I do appreciate your patience with me last week, uh, quite a bit under the weather. Um, and, uh, but God, it was good. I didn't have my first uh, temptation to cough until the very end of the message. And I didn't actually cough until I got back to the office and. Uh, and and got out of here. So uh, God was good. Uh, We got through it. And I really appreciate all of you that filled in uh, and and took on a little bit extra responsibility in my absence for the life group uh, and then uh, as well at the end of the service. So uh, thank you to everybody that kind of filled in. Um, Well, this is it. This is our Galatians finale. Some of you, this couldn't come fast enough. Like, man, this guy could really stay in a book for a long time. I could have stayed twice as long. Uh, but uh, uh, not everyone's cup of tea to, to kind of, you know, painstakingly go through a book. It is my cup of tea, so, uh, and I'm the pastor here, right? So, I kind of get to decide. But uh, I've, I've loved the study. I hope you have too. Uh, learned a lot uh, from it. Even though Paul repeats himself quite a bit, uh, he, he talks about a lot of the same themes um, that, are, that are covered over and over again. And the reason he does that is because we are a little hardy. Sometimes we we forget. Uh, we, uh, we wander away, which is exact, exactly what the Galatians were guilty of doing, uh, so we have to be reminded over and over again sometimes. Uh, so I'm thankful for those reminders, the loving reminders uh, that Paul uh, offers. Our text this morning is Galatians chapter 6, verses entitled, Paul Signs Off. And that's literal this morning. Paul literally signs off his letter. Um, and, and it not it nice to get a personal letter in the mail? Um, you know, businesses have gotten tricky, especially those that are sending uh, credit card offers and things like that. Um, if you're like uh, at most households, uh, get those, and they usually come in those business envelopes, um, and uh, you can spot them a mile away. It's like you, they don't even have their return address on there. They don't care. Uh, they just want you to maybe, uh, on impulse, sign up for another credit card. Uh, but they've gotten tricky though in, in recent years. They they started uh, they started sending these invitation size envelopes with somebody. Took, took the trouble to handwrite write your name and address on the envelope. And you think, huh, somebody was thinking of me. And that's never true. It is sometimes. I don't want to break any hearts this morning. But uh, uh, then you, oh, you rip it open only to find out that the rest of it is just a form letter asking for your money or asking for you to sign up for another credit card. Uh, but Paul uh, goes through pains, uh, as you'll see in the text, uh, to add his personal uh, signature to the letter, and not just his signature, which was his, uh, kind of his normal thing. He also uh, pens the last paragraph or so of what he has to say to the Galatian believers. Paul takes the time to sign off. Before we jump into the text, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning uh, ahead of time for what you're going to do today, what you already have done today, uh, both in the life group, Lord, uh, as hearts report out. Uh, Lord, and and uh, and and freedom uh, was so evident uh, by what you've done for us, what you've enabled us to do uh, through the blood of your son. uh, We are standing in awe of you for even having the patience to deal with us sometimes. But you don't just want us to, to get by. You want us to thrive. You want us to grow. You want us to mature. You want us to do all these things and and sometimes You have to do so you have to grow us in ways that are painful to us, but thank you lord for that Uh, Thank you for those trials because as was said this morning you can't do miracles except in difficult times And it's those valleys that we experience On the other side. We see your grace and your mercy and your power come through So thank you for the peaks but lord Thank you also for the valleys might we be mindful of that those valleys are every bit as important as the peaks and probably more, that you're doing more in us and through us through the, the fires of trial and tribulation than you could ever accomplish on an easy day. Give us the perseverance. Give us the foresight to see what you're doing. And when we can't see, to trust you, that you've always only had our good in mind, that you only want the best for us. And so if you're allowing us to go through something this morning, this week, this year that it is for our good and for your glory might we align ourselves this morning Lord with your will with your sovereignty with your program and might we be willing vessels to do exactly as you have us have for us to do have your way with us this morning Lord might your spirit be here in power convict where there's conviction needed inspire where inspiration is needed encourage where encouragement is needed And Lord, inform where just instruction is needed. We're counting on you, Lord, to be our all in all this morning. And we know that you already are. So we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 6 and the last eight verses or so. Paul starts off kind of bragging about what large letters he's writing with. See what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Of course, Paul's not bragging there. Um, A number of reasons have been given, but Paul here uh, is giving his certificate of authenticity. There may have been a number of letters written in Paul's name that were not actually written by Paul, and maybe he's guarding against that. Um, A number of reasons given for why the letters were so large. Well, one was given that. Uh, Perhaps it's just like we would do if we're sending an email. We want people to pay attention to a a particular phrase or a particular sentence. We'd put it in bold or capitals or uh, you've all gotten those texts in all caps. That's that person yelling at you. You know that, right? And if they keep that up for any length of time, you should probably ask them what's going on. Are we okay? Nobody should speak in all caps. I write in all caps usually. Uh, But uh, you get a text in all caps, you're probably in trouble for something. But Paul may be just trying to emphasize the importance of what's going on. Uh, Another reason offered is that... uh, Paul is not a professional scribe, and usually um, what would happen in the ancient world if somebody had the means to do it, they would dictate a letter to what's called an amanuensis. That's your vocabulary lesson for the day. Anyone want to take a shot at spelling that? Amanuensis. All right, we'll talk later. But all that is, is a a professional scribe who would listen to the dictated letter and write it down. These scribes were very gifted at keeping the, the, the text very neat and tidy. So these writing materials were expensive and not easy to come by, so uh, they would make very efficient use of the uh, medium that they were writing on. Uh, So it could be that Paul was just uh, unpracticed at this, and he wasn't good as a scribe at writing tightly and neatly. The most probable reason, though, is that Paul probably suffered with poor eyesight. Uh, He probably had difficulty seeing. And if you've ever been in a, uh, if you're more than, well, what I am, 37, and this happened actually a couple years ago, I started looking at a menu like this, Yeah, and and you can't see the thing because it's dimly lit, and you've got to get the thing a mile away because I'm farsighted, so i got to get the thing a mile away from me to read it, and even then I'm probably taking my, my cell phone flashlight out to read it, but Paul's eyes are dimming, and he's probably having to write large letters so that he can't even see what he's writing. Uh, so a number of reasons given for why these large letters, that's just for information's sake, really not uh, all that important uh, spiritually or theologically, but... Those are some reasons why he might have written those letters in large terms. But he's making a personal appeal. He's, he's signing off his personal name and his last few personal words uh, on a very personal letter. At times has been emotionally charged. Uh, almost angry. You can, you can hear the emotion, the passion in Paul's voice. Oh foolish Galatians. How could you have wandered so far from the truth? How could you have gotten so far off the axe? How could you have gone and believed these things? After I came and planted these churches, I told you these things were true. You've wandered away from that. So he's very passionate. And he's leaving his personal appeal as if to say, it's me, Paul. It's me, your teacher. If anybody has demonstrated that they love you, it's me. I love you still. I'm signing off my own personal name, my last few personal words. He's making a personal appeal. I've always been after your good. It's always been for your good that I did what I did. Paul already knew the gospel. He didn't didn't do it for his own sake. And oftentimes it cost Paul so much to preach and teach the gospel. It was for their sake that he came to Galatia and planted these churches. On the flip side, verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. They want to make a good showing. To look good. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Don't do anything, especially religious things, to be seen of other people. How often do we wave our philanthropy? We wave our religious works. We wave our good deeds in front of people. At such a time that we know the most people will show up and see us do it. We're, we're working exactly against the words of Jesus. And they're interested in the, the, the Judaizers, those trying to influence these Galatian believers, are interested in looking good. Forcing them to be circumcised. Why would they want to force them to be circumcised? Well, if you're looking after your own best interests, sometimes you just want to make yourself look good. In this case, we know that legalism had a had a goal in mind, right? Uh, to, to please God, the effort was: to, if I do all, if I stack all these religious things on top of one another, if I stack all these religious deeds on top of one another, how could God not be impressed with me? How could God not approve of who I am and what I do? Look at all these things I've stacked up. What does the Bible say about all our righteous deeds? All of our good deeds are as filthy rags. I've said it before, but you look up the definition of what a filthy rag is in context. And you, you present to, to God Almighty the biggest stack as you want of filthy rags and say, God, I'd like to trade this in for your approval. How could God possibly accept that as payment and entry into the kingdom? He can't. And so they're wrongly pursuing God's approval. That's part of the reason they're trying to look good is they want the approval of God. They want to work for it. Because at the end of the day, if it's all about grace and not about works, I get zero credit for doing it. And that's the point. You get zero credit for doing it. God came to us when we were a broken heap, a mess on the floor. He didn't come to us when we were were standing up strong and tall. Everything was working for us. He came to us when we were a broken, miserable state on the floor. And that's when he said, I'll save you. He got us to rock bottom so the only direction we could look was up. And he said, I got you. I've got this, as was said in the life group this morning. I've got this. You don't have to. So you are looking for the approval of God. They couldn't have gotten that anyway. But they're also looking for bragging rights. All the converts that they've made. All the people they've influenced. If you've ever held a, a particular theological position... And you just what, you find yourself, you're so arrogant, so prideful, you just run around trying to convince everybody you're right. And that becomes an end to itself. I'm just right for the sake of being right. They're looking for bragging rights. But sometimes, it's not just about looking good. Sometimes it's about keeping yourself out of harm's way. And it's more about what it might cost them to be honest with the theological truth. That it's Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus works, is Jesus plus nothing. So the verse goes on, and, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now they stood to be persecuted as Paul was. They stood to be persecuted not just from the Judaizers who said, hey look, you're departing from the traditions of our fathers. You're departing from the way that we've always done things. That's the way we've always done it. That's the way we're going to keep doing it. They were not just afraid of persecution from their own people, looking down at them at the very least, but also from Rome. Here's the reality. Rome had recognized Judaism as an okay religion. They were okay with it. They occupied the Jewish people. They were there. They were the main power. Really, nobody contesting that. But they said, look, you you can be here. We're okay with you believing these things. But the sure mark of a Jewish person and accepted religion was the mark of circumcision. That was the way you could tell. That a man was in fact following the Jewish religion. And so if you didn't do that, you ran the risk of upsetting Rome too. And Rome was a superpower. Maybe like the world has never seen since. Rome controlled everything. And if you upset Rome, now I've got to worry about persecution and, and mean words from these Jewish people on one hand. But I also got to worry about daddy Rome on the other, executing me. And so they weren't just trying to look good. They wanted to protect themselves. The reality is that the follower of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, for you, if if that's you this morning, the true disciple of Jesus is not a matter of if you'll be persecuted, it's when. And that might make sense of people out running, out that door. I hope not. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 says this. Paul again speaking. This time from a position of being in prison himself. He says this For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Wait, you had me at belief. I think you lost me at suffer. How many of us want to go through life sure that we're going to suffer for anything? Yet Paul's promise to the would-be follower of Jesus is that you will not only believe, you will also suffer for his name. He me to ask a question of myself, and I'll ask it of you as well. What evidence do you have? You've been persecuted for the cause and the sake and the name of Jesus. It's the one thing in my life that gives me pause. Lots of things give me pause, but especially this. I look at my life and say, what has your Christianity ever cost you? And I go through the list and say, not not much. You will suffer for Christ if you're truly following him. I know that we have it. I want to say this in the context that we live in a Western society, freedom of religion. I am so thankful for that. But if you can't look back at a time where you made your bosses mad or your coworkers mad or or somebody mad, at the very least, they said, man, I just can't stand their Jesus talk all the time. How can we but speak of the things that we've seen and heard? How can you know things about Jesus and eternal life and the love that only can come from him and not share that with people? Those that don't talk about Jesus, I wonder, do you have Jesus? Are you in Christ? If you're not constantly talking about him, singing his praises, what evidence do you have? We are a self-preserving species, are we not? A self-preserving species. Uh, We don't have to be taught that. We actually have to be taught, for those that are in first responder type callings in life, you have to be taught not to run. You have to be taught to, to hear gunshots and run to the struggle. Because everything in you is telling you, get out of there. Save yourselves. And we, we watched happen with this nation 18 years ago. We, we watched a, a spectacular thing happening with the two towers coming down. We saw all sorts of people running from the danger. That made sense. But then we saw a precious few with badges and hats and gear running too. God bless them for doing that. On our behalf. But we are a self-preserving species. So we don't like suffering. We don't like difficulty. Now the Judaizers. Those that were trying to influence these Galatian believers. Wanted the prestige of religion. the prestige of religiosity. Without paying the price that it would cost. They didn't want to invite scrutiny. They didn't want to invite persecution on themselves. So they did just enough. To keep themselves with the Jewish people. So they wouldn't be called them. Or the violators of the agreement they had with Rome. The pressure has a way of proving our priorities, doesn't it? When you get squeezed, when life squeezes you, what kind of stuff comes out? Isn't that the proof of who we are as a person? That when we we get the squeeze put on us, what comes out of us was what was in us. And so often we find that we don't like the stuff that comes out of us. So it's just a reminder there and then that we need Jesus all the more. We need to walk in step with the Spirit all the more. We need to be mindful of our our tendency to drift away from this all the more. And make it a daily thing. We talked this morning about getting up and and the first thing you do is submit that I don't have it. And I know that I don't have it. And if God's not with me, I've got nothing. I had a practice for a number of months and I I wish I was more consistent with it. Of rolling out of bed, the first thing hit the floor and saying, God, it's yours. Because I ain't got it. I don't have in this what I need to do that. And still carry your name with dignity and honor. Glorifying your name. Because if it's just to me, I'll drag that name through the mud. Because that's who I am. Pressure has a way of proving our priorities. Uh, Are we at times compromising for the sake of comfort? Uh, Do we tone our Jesus talk down in certain circles? Because we know they're just not into that. And if you knew the next thing that that was going to happen to them was a car accident or something and they were going to die without Jesus, we should be all over that. We, we're, none of us are promised the next breath or the next heartbeat. We have reminders all over the place how frail we are, how temporary we are, how fragile we are. But those putting on the pressure, they themselves didn't even bear it. It says in verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves... Keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Again, they're looking for bragging rights. They're looking for reasons to boast about what they've done religiously. And it's always a temptation, isn't it? Uh, we, we determine that we, we believe that we are what we should be in God's eyes. And, and so instead of turning people on to Jesus, we try to make converts in our own liking, our own likeness. We're looking for religious converts. Disciples of self, not disciples of Jesus. That's the way of legalism. That's the thing that's been addressed this whole time. You can't win God's approval that way. So why would I Why would I hope to find somebody to turn to Jesus and then look exactly like me? I, mean, I tell my kids all the time, aim higher than daddy. Aim higher than me. Have some goals so lofty, so high that you're guaranteed to fail if God's not behind you 100%. And he is. But try some daring things. Don't look at your dad and say, I hope I, I hope I can attain that. Man, I want you to shoot higher. You hear that, Emma? But they themselves didn't do the things they demanded of their converts. Isn't that frustrating? Uh, they wanted them to keep the whole law, circumcision being part of it. But James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. It's an all or nothing proposition. If you broke it at all, you're guilty of breaking it. You can no longer fulfill it. You need Jesus, period. Impossible standards. We have a a tendency at at work. I'm getting observed all the time, critiqued all the time. Nobody's in your room to tell you you did a good job. They're, They're in your room to tell you you did a poor job, and here's why. But it's, very, it's the height of frustration when the person that's observing you and critiquing you and telling you you did a lousy job has never done the job that you're doing and probably couldn't do it. The old saying, do as I say, not as I do. I've developed one kind of akin to that. I've said, look, it's frustrating to hear those things. Instead of telling me what the standard is, why don't you show me the first one, I'll do the next thousand. Didn't go over well. Didn't stop me. Do as I say, not as I do. Uh, bragging is bad enough, but to brag about what you haven't done and are incapable of doing, and then making that the point at which you brag, that's what they're doing here. Keep the whole law. We're not doing it, but you've got to keep it. So I can boast in my converts. But Paul comes back, he says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul talked about boasting in what you have done, not the person next to you. And he wasn't talking about actually boasting. He say, look, we all have an individual responsibility. We all have an individual calling. We have an individual obligation to decide what we do with Jesus. And that's an individual thing. You can't come here and get it by the community. It's not contagious. You've got to make your decision to follow Jesus Yourself. But Paul wasn't advocating, bragging, or boasting. Because here he says, the only thing I'm going to brag about, and Paul had much to brag about. Can we agree on that? Paul was the man. Paul was the man. Smart, articulate, powerful rhetorically. A Pharisee of Pharisees, Jew of Jews. This dude was everything. Gave up everything to be nothing for Jesus. He had bragging rights, but he chose not to use any of them. Instead, I'll boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes no bones about it. The only worthy brag is the thing that had nothing to do with him, but instead the thing that saved him, the cross of Jesus. As we read in John chapter 3 and verse 30, he must increase, I must decrease. Do you have that orientation to God? Do you have that sense that, man, I just want to shrink down. I just want to get out of the way. I don't want people looking at me. That's that's hard for a pastor because you're all looking at me now. But my goal here, week in and week out, my goal is to get out of the way and point you to Jesus. And say, I'm not worth looking at. But Jesus is. And if I can help you do that week in and week out, I'll stand up here And much to my chagrin, tear up and cry in front of you to help you do that. He must increase, I must decrease. And Paul has that same sentiment. If it's true of Paul, it's certainly true of us. Is it not? It was this cross, Paul says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now this is a fairly common expression for Paul, being crucified to something. It just means dying to something, being dead to something. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I I have been crucified, to point out, my identity is now in Christ. I've given up my own identity. I've given up my own future to pursue the things that I wanted to do, except as they relate to what God wants me to do. I've I've been crucified with Christ. Chapter 5, verse 24, he's been, to be crucified with Christ means you have to be crucified to your flesh. Your old natural man has to die man or woman, has to die. And in in the spiritual economy, in God's economy, everything seems backwards, doesn't it? Everything seems backwards. I have to die to self to truly live? I have to become a slave of Christ to truly be free. Isn't that backwards? Jesus would say, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And that can only make sense in that spiritual economy where you say, I am nothing, I must decrease, he must increase. I find my identity in him and nothing else. That's the only way we get there, through the cross. The cross was the means by which Paul and we can see this truth. It's the glasses we put on so that we can see clearly. In the end, verse 15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. We talked about that this morning too. It's almost like God had something to do with our, our talk this morning. If you don't come to the life group in the morning, you're missing out. That's not a guilt trip. That's just a, we want to invite you in to maximize your benefit from coming here. And if that's something you'd be open to doing, then come on out. We have a great time and we laugh a lot. I tell a lot of stupid jokes that out of courtesy people laugh at. And because they're really funny. But neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. The old made new, as the song said. And we found him. The old is made new. Outward displays, even religiously motivated, were still unlasting and ineffectual. Why? Because the the natural man, even with that sign of circumcision, said, Hey, I'm I'm, I'm part of this posse. I'm part of this group, this gang. When I die, that goes away. And so we're looking for something lasting beyond the grave, not just a sign in the flesh that's going to be here one minute and gone the next. All that mattered was the way by which one became a new creation. Say, how, Pastor Jeff, how does one become a new creation? I'm glad you asked. I anticipated that you would in my notes to answer it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. C.S. Lewis, a little plug for him. I haven't quoted him in a couple weeks. He says, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun. Not because I can see the sun, but because by it I can see everything else. And Christianity makes sense of this broken and ugly, messed up world. Where even in the pits and the valleys, God says, but I'm still working. Still doing something on your behalf, even while you're Suffering. I had an opportunity to talk with somebody whose daughter is going through a mess. It breaks my heart to keep hearing about it. But one of the things that I offered for encouragement was this. She's fighting. She's a fighter. In every best way. And she's fighting through this for her kids. And I said, imagine what God is turning her into. Imagine the warrior she's becoming for God because of the fires of trial she's being put through. She's going to come out pure gold on the other side because she has God refining her in those moments through that difficulty. It doesn't make it easier in the here and now necessarily, but if you can just hang on, persevere, just wait, God is doing something so mighty and so awesome through that. You never would have gotten the places he's taking you through trials if you didn't have them. And so often we say, yeah, but I want to avoid those trials. I want to avoid those difficulties. Why? I understand why. I get it. But when we realize that all the good things come through perseverance, all the good things God wants to get into our lives comes through difficulty, why would we not say, "Hey God, I'm looking forward to the next thing you bring me through. I know it's going to hurt, but I know you're going to shape me into something much more than I would be otherwise. And I can't wait to see what God does with her." And she is determined, she is faithful. She is fighting like, a, like a, any mother animal that fights for her kids. And I can't wait to see what God does in and through her. I anticipate a great victory in her lives, her, her family's lives, and, and, and people that come into contact with her for years to come. Anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 16, and as as for all who walk by this rule, if you see this, if you align yourself with this, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. This Israel of God is just a way of saying this is not a genetic thing. It's not a hereditary thing. It's not an ethnic or a national thing. This is a spiritual thing. The God of Israel. For the Israel of God is the church. Those who are in Christ. From From now on, Paul says, verse 17, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul is saying, you can hear his voice broken up and weak and tired, sad. at What's happening? Let the accusations and the gossip stop. You guys know I I had only your best interests in mind the whole time. Why would I endure the things I endured except that I did? And now all this talk about me being a false teacher and, and, and not teaching you the whole truth. Let the accusations stop. Let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul's body itself was evidence of his authenticity, of his following Jesus. He bore on his body the marks of Jesus. Uh, some people would say, and legends have developed around the idea that this is the, maybe the earliest case of stigmata. of The, the, the nail prints in the, uh, showing up in Paul's hands. I don't believe that to be true. I think what he's saying is it look at my body, take my robe off, and look at my back. It's been laid bare so many times. For Jesus. You want to read all about Paul's suffering? You don't think he Paul truly suffered? Second Corinthians chapter 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul goes on a, on a tirade of all the things that he's done. He's been shipwrecked, beaten with rods, stoned and left for dead at one time. He's been through it. Paul was the man. When I say Paul's the man, Paul was the toughest guy you know, besides Jesus. But he continued on. He persevered. He even would say, it is well with my soul. I've learned, as Jill said, to be content in every situation. Whether I have plenty or I have need. Whether my cup is full or it's empty. You know why Paul said that? Paul said that in Philippians. When he was shackled in chains i've learned to be content in any situation lest you think that paul's just saying that from some ivory tower where it's easy for him he's saying that from the lowest of low positions in life a roman prison he says i'm learned to be content even here i bear on my body the marks of jesus why would he have endured what he did for something he knew to be false don't let anyone cause me trouble Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is a typical Pauline farewell. It's his prayer for them. That grace be their portion, even after all their confusion, even after all their wandering, that that grace would be still their portion as he signs off this personal portion of his letter. It's all about grace. It's still all about grace. And grace being... What it is and what it means. It's an unmerited favor. You you can't work for it. You can't earn it. Therefore, the best thing we can call it is a gift. Grace is a gift. So many refuse it. So many stiff-arm Jesus as he's trying to fix the situations that they're in. But grace is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is, By grace you have been saved. Through faith not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, lest any person should boast. We have no right to brag because we didn't do anything to get us there. It's a gift. In a couple of short days, we're going to learn way more than we want to about gifts, right? As for you parents that haven't already caved into your your kids' desires to open up early, um, we're going to be giving gifts to our children, to our loved ones, uh, usually, too many of them. Uh, I get sick of the opening by the time it's it's done. I'm like, man, they, you, you see the the uh, um, in our youngest usually always looking after the last one's open. You just want to get to the next one, get to the next one, get to the next one. It's like, no, buddy, that's it, man. We ran out of money. That's the last one. And he's like, well, that's kind of lame. It's all over. But this letter of Paul was a gift. Uh, Sharp words and difficult truths can be gifts. And as we think about giving gifts this season, think about the fact that you may be called by God to give a difficult or hard truth to somebody. But as you do that, and, and that, by the way, is a dying concept. Nobody wants to be told anything that might offend them. I don't want to offend you. But if I offend you to the point where you get mad enough to get in your Bible and find out what I'm saying is true, I've done my job. And I hope we can be friends again. But I'm not afraid of offending. I'm afraid of offending God. But what ought to, we, ought, we ought not try to offend people. We don't need to run around trying to offend people. So what should characterize the gift of hard truth? As we look at Paul's whole letter in total, being a gift of hard truth. Well, the first thing I will offer you just three things to think about if you're going to offer a hard truth like Paul did. The first thing is: it true? Is it actually true? We live in such a, a culture of misinformation. So many people run around sharing ideas they haven't given more than five minutes of feeling thought to. It's all filtered through feeling and opinion. No research being done. No uh, no checks against what uh, what the academics are saying or or what the truth is. I wanna I wanna give you this truth because it's what I like to view as truth. You haven't given it more than five minutes of thought. It's an opinion you didn't even know you had five minutes ago. For Paul, he was convicted enough about this truth that he would be persecuted over and over and over again for it. Is it true? Secondly, is the collateral damage of that truth worth the trouble? This is something I'm convinced almost no nobody, even Christians, ever stops to think about. I have a lot of firm opinions on a lot of things. Many of them you will never know. Why? Because that's not a hill I'm willing to die on. And if I slam a door in your face, that cuts off all communication and all ability and opportunity to minister to you well, because I just had to get that thing out. I just had to say that thing that we disagree about. Is the collateral damage worth the truth that you're trying to share? Is the risk worth the reward? Again, is it a hill worth dying on? I I often use the example, um, we, we pick battles. Sometimes I think that aren't strategic for the war. Now my war as a pastor, my war as an evangelist is for the souls of men and women. And if I had to share my political opinion with you such that you slam the door on any future communication, I'd feel kind of silly about winning that battle at the, for the sake of the war. And I'm not saying don't share those opinions. I'm not, I don't have any person in mind when I'm saying this. I'm just saying be careful. Be careful that the, the, the truth that you're willing to share with somebody is worth the collateral damage that might ensue. Make sure it's a hill you're worth, worth dying on. And finally, number three, is it really a gift for them? This gift of hard truth, or is it a gift for you because you just wanted to vent your frustration? Was it all about being right? I have gone through seasons in life where that was all that mattered to me. You could look at sections of my library. I could, point, I could go back in my mind to when I bought all those books. Because my only concern in life was being right. Now, God used that period. God redeemed that period in my life to turn me into a pastor and to have the requisite knowledge and and training and reading and studying and experience uh, to maybe get by. But I can look at books that I've read and notes that I've taken and things just for the sake of winning an argument. Was that about them being right or being encouraged or instructed, or was it more about me just showing off how much I knew? Is it really a gift for them or is it a gift for you? Sometimes we just like the sound of our own voice. And so we like to be condescending to people that so you should be where I am. You should know what I know. Now at this time, especially, we think about the sharing the gift of Jesus. And that's no easier. It's no less hard to share the gift of Jesus. Why? Because it means the first thing is that you have to tell them, hey, look, you're not enough. You are inadequate on your own without the gift of that baby that we're going to celebrate in the manger. Who wants to hear that? Yet Jesus accomplished or predicted and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead to prove that he was enough when we were not. Is it worth sharing what you know about Jesus? Is it worth it? Is that a hill you should be willing to die on? Absolutely. Literally, and hear me on this, eternity hangs in the balance of whether or not you share Jesus with somebody you come and encounter with. It may very well be that the last opportunity you had to share Jesus, and maybe decided not to, was the last opportunity on this earth that they were going to have to hear it. My favorite verse, Acts 4.20. How can we but speak of the things that we've seen and heard? How can I possibly be silent about the things that Jesus did for us? And then how can I not take this opportunity in this season, we're celebrating this baby Jesus, say, he wasn't just a baby for you. He grew up to live his life for you. To then give his life for you. To then battle and defeat death for you. And isn't that a hill worth dying on? Isn't that a truth, a hard truth worth sharing? And so this Christmas season, I'm going to ask you to be more mindful of that as we celebrate the Nativity and how wonderful the Incarnation is and was. It didn't stop the Incarnation. It didn't stop at this baby being born. That was just the beginning. Of a long wait, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And the first sign that that was going to happen was that baby laying in the manger. Because he was going to pick a fight with evil and destroy it. And that's a story worth sharing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as I close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your difficult truths that you share with us. And the opportunity, Lord, that we have to share difficult truths with other people. It's not easy, and it's not all the time something that somebody wants to hear, Lord, but it's always something they need to hear. And just like taking medicine is necessary even when it doesn't taste good. Lord, might we recognize the greater struggles for their soul? And this is the greatest truth we can possibly share with them. Might we be more faithful to share it? How can we but speak of the things that we've seen and heard? Bless this group of people that I love so dearly as they leave this place. Thank you for them. Make much of yourself through them, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.